Galatians, book of Galatians, chapter number 4, and we're looking beginning at verse number 5 tonight. We're going to be talking again about our adoption, and we're going to be talking tonight. We talked about the adoption on Sunday afternoon that we have in Christ Jesus, and that, that legal part of our salvation is God has adopted us unto Himself and made us His own. And then we, we read in uh, the passages that we're going to be looking at tonight are some of the results or the signs of that adoption in us. And it, you might say it's proofs of our salvation uh, that the Scripture gives us that we'll be looking at here in this pas- these passages of Scripture that we'll be looking at tonight. But we begin in verse number 5, Galatians 4 and verse 5. Let's go back up to verse number 1 and and begin there and see what Paul says here. He says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And so what we, as we were looking at Sunday, uh, Sunday afternoon, concerning our adoption, we see this is, this is a, a part of, or a... a uh, one of the means of our salvation. We have the new birth, which brings us into the family of God. We are born again in Christ. But God also adopts us. There's a legal side to it as well. And it is in this adoption as His children that we are made heirs and joint heirs with Christ. And we'll look at those verses also here in a little while, but we see here that that with this adoption, what we're going to be looking at this evening, that with this adoption there are signs that it has taken place in us. There are signs that we've been made the children of God. There are signs in us as proofs of who we are in Christ Jesus. And so to begin with, we find obedience is done, and it must be done, by right rule. And so that would bring with it then true obedience. But that true obedience in the heart of a child of God must come or must be directed by the Word of God. See, we have a lot of people that have the idea that they have Jesus as their Lord. They like the idea of of saying that. They like the idea of calling themselves Christian, but they have no idea what the Word of God says. They ignore, in fact, the Word of God. And even many times when they're confronted with the Word of God and say, hey, this is what God requires of you, they don't want to hear that. No, 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 I'll, I'll live my life the way I want to live. You're not going to tell me how, what God expects from me. I don't want to hear that. I want to do my thing. I want to go my way. I want to follow, I want to follow my direction. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to hear what God says about how I'm to live. I don't want to hear about what God says 
about what it is to be obedient to Him. And so they, they don't want to even hear the Word of God. They try to ignore what the Scripture says, and they give themselves excuses concerning it by saying, well, it doesn't, it doesn't really apply to us any longer. That was, that was for then. That was, that was for when it was written. It's out of date now. It doesn't apply to me. It's not my responsibility anymore. Or the, the, the one that people use today, well, God understands. He understands that, that I am who I am, and uh, He understands uh, the, all the, the problems that come against me every day. He understands all the trials and the tribulations that I face. And so he, he gives me a pass. He gives me a pass to do what I want to do, serve how I want to serve, obey if I want to or, or not, or he'll accept, he'll accept my half-hearted uh, giving to him. Uh, that's, that's sadly how many approach the worship of God. But true obedience... True obedience of God requires or is, is founded upon His Word. If we're going to obey Him, we have to do so by the Scriptures. We have to do so by His Word and follow what it tells us to do. In Isaiah chapter number 8 and verse number 20, Isaiah chapter number 8, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20, he says, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. In other words, if they, if they don't go along with the word of God, if they don't acknowledge that is what we are to follow, he said they don't have any light in them. That simply means they are not the children of God. They're still dead in trespasses and sins, if that's the case. And so it, our, our, the, the proof of the adoption in us, the proof of the new birth in us, is our desire to be obedient to the Word of God. To obey what He has given us in His Word. If it is not... According to the word, uh, it is the same as offering strange fire. And we know what happened to uh, those guys when they offered the strange fire uh, to the Lord. Uh, the ground opened up and swallowed them. Uh, fire rained down there. So it was, this was, God doesn't accept that. He doesn't accept half-hearted or, or uh, uh, obedience so-called obedience outside of His Word. Um, in Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter number 2, and verse number 18, this was an issue in Paul's day, and we also see it in our own day as well. Uh, people have the idea that their worship of God somehow encompasses everything heavenly. And so because it encompasses everything heavenly, then they, have, they will they'll worship everything in regards to 
spirituality. And that's one of the, the common uh, phrases that people use today. When you ask if they're saved, or if you ask them if they have faith, if you ask them do they know Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, the, the, a common answer that is given, I'm a very spiritual person. Well, that don't, that don't really mean anything. What, what, what do you mean that you're very spiritual? Because there's a whole lot of spirits out there that are not the Spirit of God. So what do you mean that you're spiritual? And we read here in uh, Colossians, again, chapter 2, verse 18, as Paul warns the church here at Colossae, he says, Let no man beguile you, of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. These are folks that were advocating for the worship of angels. Well, by the way, Satan is an angel. He's a fallen angel, but he's an angel. Those minions that fell with him, the third of them that fell with him, they were angels as well. And so you, you have a great many people that have the idea that they're somehow worshiping heavenly angels when in reality those heavenly angels would not accept worship from the children of God. And so if you've got angels that are, are commanding you or allowing you to worship them, I, I can assure you it is not the angels of heaven. It is Satan and those that fell with him. And, that, and you, you are simply in worship of demons. And this is something that is promoted in what is called today the New Age Movement. But that, it's really an Old Age Movement. It's been around for generations and generations. It's the same stuff that Nimrod started in his day in Babel. And it's continued on and they've added to it as time has gone on. But it's simply, it's simply demonism, it's witchcraft that's, that's been uh, declared as spiritual. And so because it's spiritual, everybody, well, I guess it's okay then. Uh-uh. No, not at all. And so Paul warns them here in Colossae concerning that, and it's a reality in our own day as well. Uh, in fact, anything... Any religious action, any religious uh, work uh, that has no word of God to warrant it, we need to be careful of it. And if, if we're doing it as worship, if we're doing it as uh, trying to be obedient to the Lord, we need to make sure that we've not raised up an idol in that situation. We have great liberty that God has given us in, in the things that we do and the things we enjoy in this life. But we need to make sure in our liberty that we've not raised up idols to ourselves. And so this is one of the things we need to be aware of, that our obedience to God is according to His Word. That we are following the dictates of His Word as we seek to obey and as we seek to follow Him. It must be founded. Our obedience to Him must be founded on His Word and upon faith. Paul says there in Romans 16. Romans 16, verse number 26. 
Romans 16, verse 26, he says, But now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Obedience of faith. And so with, with that word, God has given us faith to believe, and so it is that faith that He has given us that we are in obedience to. All acceptable works before God proceed from faith. Um, in Hebrews 11, Paul gives us that contrast here. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 4. When he gives us the example here of Cain and Abel, they both brought sacrifices. They were both, from their perspective, being obedient. They both thought, well, we're doing what we're supposed to do. And so they both come before the Lord. They both come to Him with sacrifices that they've brought. And I believe offering them with genuine hearts as they brought that sacrifice to Him. By faith, though, by faith, Paul said, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it being dead, yet speaking. And so, so by faith, Abel offered the right sacrifice, because Abel had an understanding, by faith, of what that sacrifice was depicting, what it was, what it was revealing about himself, about his own sin, and the need that he had to have a covering for that sin. And so he brought that sacrifice of, of the lamb of his flocks that, that was a proper sacrifice to bring before the Lord as was taught to him by his father. And he brought that right sacrifice. The blood was shed there as a covering for himself. And so it was by faith that Abel brought that, ex, that more excellent sacrifice. Cain, on the other hand, he brought of his field. He brought a sacrifice of the, the vegetables and the fruit that he'd grown. Now, there, there's a place for that given in the law. But they are to bring, they are bring some of those sacrifices to the Lord and offerings to the Lord in that sense. But it does not replace the need for a sin offering. And this is not acceptable. This Again, this is before the law was given. So God hadn't given Cain this direction here to bring me of the field. But rather, his, his, what was taught him was to bring an offering for a sin offering. That was the only offering that he was taught to do. But Cain brought of what he himself had produced. And so he brought an offering to the Lord. But it wasn't about, it wasn't about cleaning Cain up. It wasn't, about, it wasn't about making him right before God. But it was an offering to the Lord. Whether it was out of uh, jealousy because Abel brought one. Whether it was out of obligation because 
Well, that's just what we do. We bring an offering to the Lord, so I'll bring what I got. And so whether that was the case, or whether he was truly trying to get some kind of forgiveness by bringing this, it was not accepted by God. And God told Cain, Cain, you brought the wrong sacrifice. And we see their grace extended to Cain in, in, the, in the fact that God told him, you brought the wrong sacrifice, go bring me the right sacrifice, and I'll accept it. And Cain said, no, I ain't on it. And so instead of bringing the right sacrifice, he kills his brother. Jealous because God had accepted Abel's. Instead of just going and bringing the right sacrifice. And so his, his sacrifice, by all means, was not in any way of faith. But Abel's was of faith. Recognizing what its purpose was for. The purpose was for the, his own covering, his own cleansing. The need that he had to be cleaned up before God. And so he brought that right sacrifice, a sacrifice of faith. And so our obedience must be toward our Lord by faith, doing what he's told us to do. Knowing that it's, it's not for naught that we are obeying him, that it's not just simply, it's not, well, that's what God commands, let's just do it. It's not, it's not that, but by faith, the, Lord, the Lord's given us this direction. He's shown us how we're to worship Him. He's shown us how that we are, we are to be faithful to Him. He's shown us what we are to do to obey. We're going to do it because we love Him. Because He loves us. Because He desires the best for us. And so by faith, we're to obey His Word and what He has given for us. And so... Obedience must be done to the right end. The true end of obedience is all about glorifying God. And we've already talked about that in this study. That it, that's our main purpose in life. It's our main purpose in our daily walk is that we might bring glory to God. And we need, to, we need to have that intent each day. That needs, we need to be mindful about our every steps, about our everyday actions. That it's not just us going through a routine, but we need to be intentional in, in our service that we would desire, that we would seek each day to glorify God in our actions, in our work, in our doings, in our routines, that we would glorify Him by that which we do. So that is our, our first purpose. It is, it is the end of obedience that we are striving for. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says there in verse number 3, as he's describing here... Love, charity as he calls it. Charity is a very good description of this word love. Uh, the word love has various meanings even in the Greek culture. You had four different types of love that was recorded in Greek language. This particular one that is used here that's often translated love is translated here in chapter 13 as charity. And the reason it is translated charity, it is the highest 
form of love. It is the love that God has toward you and I. It is the word agape in the Greek. And that word agape truly means charity. It is a love that is given out not expecting anything in return. It is a love that's given without conditions. It's a love that is given without expecting anything else. Just a giving of that love. That's the love God has for us. That's the love He has extended to us. It's the love that He calls us to have for Him and for one another. And so he says here in in Paul describing this reality, he says here in verse 1, he says, Now concerning, I'm sorry, I'm reading uh, chapter 12, verse 1, Though I speak (laughs) with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity or agape, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gifts of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Now you think that would, I mean, Paul's speaking, he said, I'm speaking all these languages. And that would, I, we would see him doing that, and we, well, obviously he's got God. Now, I'm not talking about gibberish like you see on TV. Some of these guys flipping people's throats and telling them to say these syllables and teaching you how to speak in an unknown tongue. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about speaking other languages here. And he said he can speak these languages that God has given him the ability to do that he might be a witness to these, these foreigners to him. That he might be able to be a witness to them by this gift of tongues. But he says if he doesn't have charity, that's not proof of anything. He says, in fact, he says, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. He says, I'm just, I'm just a sound maker is all I am. If it's not about, if it's not about loving that one that I'm bringing this message to. If, it, if it's not, if it's not in, imbued with power, if it's, if it's not something that he is, if he, uh, that he is doing for the purpose of giving them the love of God because he loves them, that it's not going to mean anything to them. It's just going to be noise, he says. And so he says, I, I've become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And he says, verse 2, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, that sounds like a pretty good place to be in. Knows, knows all prophecies. He, he understands all the mysteries. He has all the knowledge. He has all the faith, he says. And he goes on to say that if he could remove mountains, Jesus said all it took was a grain of mustard seed to move a mountain. Paul says, what, if I had that, if I had all these things, and even the faith to move mountains and have not charity, and don't have that love, he says, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. The love, the charity, the agape that Paul is describing here in 1 Corinthians 13 is is the, the very command that Christ has given to us. 
To love one another, He says. That's His commandment that He's given unto us. And He says, by this love that you have one to another, all men may know that you belong to Me. He said there two of them there in John chapter 13. He, when, it, when He was asked what was the great commandment of the law in Matthew 22, the lawyer came to Him and asked Him, What's the great, which is the great commandment of the law? What does He tell Him? He sums it all up. Sums up the whole law of God with a message of love. To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second, he said, is likened to it. To love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So our obedience then, our obedience is not only by the word, it's not only by faith, but it is also to be exercised in love. That, that is to be the chief aim of it. That's what is to be found in us as we are going about to do the will of God. Not just to be doing because it's what we're supposed to do, but to be doing because of love, because we love one another, because we love our Lord. And so we, that requires us to constantly, every day, be checking ourselves. It requires us to constantly be, be looking deep in us. Am I doing this for the glory of God? Am I doing this because I love my brethren? Am I doing this because, because I, I want to see them blessed? Am I doing this because I desire to show Christ's love to them? That's, we have to constantly be checking ourselves as we go through our day. That our walk, our obedience to the Lord is measured on these things. Because what Paul makes it very clear here, we can have all the truth that we can have. But if it's not measured out with love, it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter. We have, we have to have that love as that, that controlling force as we go forward. Paul says, verse 3, Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Now that sounds like love, don't it? That sounds like love. He says, if I give everything I've got to feed the poor. We would see that outwardly. We would see him doing that and automatically we would think, well, obviously Paul has a love for them. He's given everything up that he's got. That he might feed these people. Obviously he loves them. Paul says, no, there's a way you can do that. There's a way that you can serve others. There's a way that you you can give of yourself. There's a way that you can even give everything you have to others and it not be about love. Oftentimes it can be about your own selfishness. It can be even about serving yourself. Instead of serving others. And so he says, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body even to be burned, he said. There was a few years ago, back in the 70s, uh, there was a famous picture of it. There was a Buddhist monk uh, that was... uh, protesting the Vietnam War. 
And his protest was to go out in the middle of the street and pour gasoline on himself and set himself on fire and kill himself. Because he was protesting war. Gave himself to be burned. Gave himself to be burned. But he didn't have the love of Christ. He didn't have the love of Christ. He says, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity. Have not agape. That only comes from God. That only comes, He is the God of love. It comes from Him, you see. It comes from Him. Paul said, though I do all of this and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. It profiteth me nothing. Our obedience has to have the right end it has to be about glorifying our Lord and it has to be seasoned, directed by love as we go forth to do His will, as we go forth to obey and serve Him. So it has to have that right end. That Christ might be magnified. That Christ Jesus might be magnified in us. He says in... in uh, Philippians chapter number 1 and verse number 20. Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 20. He says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But that with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul said, it's all about magnifying my Lord. It's all about lifting Him. It's about glorifying Him. That's what it's... That's what my obedience, that's what my life is to be about. It's to be about glorifying our Lord. And so we have, to, we have to check ourselves. We have to examine ourselves every day in our walk, in our service to Him. Is that what it's about? Is that my purpose? Is that what I'm looking to do? Or is it about, well, you know, that's what I, I'm a Christian, so what I'm supposed to do. Well, yeah, I, I'm a child of God, so I guess I better. Or is it truly about, Lord, I, I want to glorify your name today. Father, I, I want to be obedient to you. I want to shine the light of Christ. I want to magnify you today in my walk, in my life, that they would see in me the love of Christ that you've given me. Now we're not going to be able, never, and and we've discussed this many, many times. We're not ever going to be able to perfectly obey the Lord. We're going to come up short every time. 
We're going to come. We're going to come short. We're going to fail him every day. We'll do that. But it should be our desire. It should be what we're striving for. It should be. It should be what we look to each and every day. Is I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to. Lord, give me strength today. That I can serve you. Lord, give me strength today that I might be able to do what you call me to do. Lord, give me strength today. Give me your presence today that I can I can be that light of Christ to those around me. Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 and verse number 16. Paul, of course, is describing here the problem of the old nature and the new nature here in this passage. He's, he's describing the situation that <coughs> often he, he wants to do what's right. He wants to do what's pleasing to the Lord, but how he fails so often. And he's describing this reality. And he, when he says here in verse 16, he says, If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law. He says that it is good. This is one of the proofs that we as children of God have experienced the new birth. It's one of the proofs that we've experienced that adoption, that we truly have it. Because even when we fail, we're not going to be trying to give excuses for ourselves. When we fail, we're going to, we're going to recognize, even though we might give excuses to somebody else, we might, we might try to excuse ourselves to others, before God we know we can't. Before God, we have to say, yes, Lord, I know what your word says. I know I failed you. Lord, that's not what I wanted to do. That's not, that wasn't where I was wanting to go. That's not, that's not what my purpose was. That wasn't, that wasn't what I intended to take place. Lord, this is not where I wanted to end up, but this is where I've ended up. And I acknowledge, Lord, your word is right, and I have sinned. I have failed. And so it, it, there's an acknowledgement in the child of God, between, especially between us and God. It ought to be between us and each, each other. It, it ought to be there as well. But it'll definitely be between us and God. As a child of God, that, yes, Lord, I, your word is the truth, and I have failed it. I've come short. And so we approve as the children of God, as those that have experienced this adoption, we approve of God's Word. We will approve that His Word is right. His Word is good. His Word is what He demands of us. And so we approve of every command. Not only do we approve of every command, David says that we are to delight even in every command. There's, there's times when we might struggle with the commands of God. Maybe, maybe we feel angry that we're the only ones trying to do it. Maybe we uh, feel like it's too hard to do. I mean, there's all kinds of things that come up. There's all kinds of reasons that we give ourselves. Maybe sometimes we think they're just too hard. Lord, that's, you shouldn't require that much of me, you know. But Lord, I mean, obviously, you understand, Lord, that, that, that life is really hard and I'm really struggling right now and there's a lot of issues, there's a lot of problems in my life and, and obviously you understand, Lord, that I, 
Now, I'm not going to, I mean, that, that yes, I, I should obey you, but that may be just too much. Or, uh, Lord, it's just not fair that you require that of me. That's not what it ought to be. David says here in Psalm 119, in verse number 97, Psalm 119 and verse number 97, he says, Oh, how love I thy law. How love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. David says here he, he loves God's law. He loves, in fact, he goes on to describe it further. He says, Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, he says, because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way, that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. That's what our that's that's how our 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 mindset ought to be toward the word of God, toward His direction, toward our obedience. That's how it ought to be in our lives. Instead of us looking for excuses not to, instead of us giving ourselves excuses not to, or just simply ignoring it because we don't want to. This is what it ought to be. This is, this is the attitude that we ought to have. But that takes a constant reset every single day. Lord, help me to serve you today. Lord, help me to be faithful. Lord, help me to magnify your name. Help me to glorify you. In my actions, in my words, in my attitudes, that you would be seen in me. Now we recognize, we know... that we don't always have that right attitude. We know that we don't always consider these realities, that oftentimes it is simply us going through the routine. But it is at those times, it is at those places when we find ourselves just going through the routine that we stop and we reset I said, Lord, I've, I've failed you. Lord, I've, I've come short. 
Forgive me. Help me this day to be faithful. And start again. Start again. Be faithful in our walk. That these things might be seen in us. Now, I'm going to stop here. Because that was point one. And we'll try to get to point two and three. Sunday afternoon. Okay.